You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Millions of Americans have osteoporosis, but too often a broken bone is the first indication of this common condition. What osteoporosis screening strategies should physicians adopt for long-term care patients, and what treatment regimens are most effective? Joining us to discuss Healthy Bones, Healthy Body, Osteoporosis in Long-Term Care is Dr. Alexandra Papaioanu, professor in the Department of Medicine and past director of the Division of Geriatric Medicine with a joint appointment in the Division of Rheumatology at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Alexandra, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much. I'm delighted to uh, join you. We're going to have a good time today discussing osteoporosis. And so to set the ground rules, let's go with a definition first. How do you want to define osteoporosis? You know, ultimately, osteoporosis, in Canada, we've just published the guidelines, and we've defined it as osteoporosis being fragile bones that are at increased risk of breaking. And the breaking can occur either with a fall or it can occur with a hug from a family member or it can just happen. That sets us up very nicely for when we want to make the diagnosis question. And I think it's a lovely way to set that up. Now, we have a pretty good idea about osteoporosis in women. So let's talk about the risk for women and let's talk about the risk for men. So if you're an older adult living in the community, your risk if you're a female is approximately one in four, depending on your ethnic background, and for men, one in eight. Now, if you're residing in a nursing home or long-term care, we know that men who experience a, a broken bone are much more likely to die. So the risk of a, a fracture for men is much more serious. For women, it's quite common, and by the time we reach long-term care, the numbers are really very striking. It can be as high as one in two. I tell my patients that the curve back that we often see with older women is not normal aging. Well, I had a physician who was in one of our long-term care facilities. It was a senior high-rise, and he was over 90, and he made the observation, just like you've pointed out, that I've watched my friends, the male friends that fall, break a hip, they're gone within a year. I think we have to share that with our audience over and over again, that this is a terribly uh, risky business, uh, having a fracture. And there's no question that we know that many people, especially in long-term care, do not associate a fracture with osteoporosis. We know patients and healthcare providers attribute a fracture to a fall. In order to really close that care gap and reduce the risk of fractures, we need to treat both, prevent the fall and the osteoporosis. And no matter what age, it's never too late. Let's come back with physicians and the diagnosis using the definition that you've already set up and already the premise with regards to fractures. How should we go about making a diagnosis of osteoporosis? What does it take? Very important question especially for individuals in long-term care. I have just recently presented to a group of family physicians who are medical directors in long-term care facilities, and they pointed out to the problem of 
obtaining a bone density, which is typically the tests that we use to help us make the diagnosis. A bone density tells us a bit about how strong a bone is. One of the challenges many medical directors found is that their patients may have curved backs and can't lie flat on the exam table for the bone density, and they may have to send the resident out of the home or of the facility to obtain the test. So those are challenges in obtaining a test that we often use in the community. Having said that, one of the key things that we can do to help diagnose osteoporosis in long-term care is ask the simple question, have you ever had a fracture after the age of 40? A fracture is really one of the major risk factors that your bone is fragile. So in some of the homes that I work with, the staff now have on their standard admission to ask about has there been a spine fracture, a hip fracture, or a family history of a hip fracture. So that should be the biggest trigger to think, aha, this person likely has osteoporosis. Well, let's stay with this because that is, in fact, where I'm delighted that we're going. We've set it up this way, and let's talk about the fracture as the diagnosis for osteoporosis. Are we there yet? We are getting there. So we do know that in many parts of North America, including in Canada and the U.S., only 20% of people who have a fracture are assessed and treated for osteoporosis. So there's a major care gap there. So despite the fracture being the end result of having osteoporosis, we're not there yet. For some reason, we don't link fractures with osteoporosis. And we really want to put in everybody's mind to really say that, you know, we have the falls, we have osteoporosis. If we can prevent and treat both of these, we can reduce fractures. You need to target both. I'll get on to the consequences in just a second, but and I know the gap, but you know we have a lot of organizations, National Quality Forum, NCQA, that are talking about identifying the fracture and then doing something about it. I actually think that there's a lot of long-term care physicians, providers, medical directors that would say that at face value, if the patient has a fracture, I don't need any more diagnostic tests. The diagnosis is osteoporosis, and I've got to get on with treatment. And, you know, I think that that's the the message that when we've had discussions in long-term care, that that message really resonates as being the right message. If your resident has had a hip fracture, 95% likelihood, pre-test likelihood, before the bone density that that patient has osteoporosis. So a history of a hip fracture really in long-term care does not require a bone density. And, you know, if your patient has had a spine fracture, those are the individuals that, you know, we need to do some blood tests to make sure that there's nothing else causing the fracture. Because in the spine fractures, there can be other diseases particularly that can be linked, associated with those fractures. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from Reach MD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Idaklis Tangalos, and joining me to discuss Healthy Bones, Healthy Body, Osteoporosis in Long-Term Care is Dr. Alexandra Papaiwanu, professor in the Department of Medicine and past director of the Division of Geriatric Medicine 
with a joint appointment in the Division of Rheumatology at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Well, let's come back to some of the preventive strategies now for osteoporosis. And not only can we prevent broken bones, but can we prevent falls as well? That really is a very important change in our guidelines in Canada that we made, and I know in the U.S. has been made as well. Vitamin D is a very powerful tool in reducing fractures and falls in long-term care. So vitamin D reduces falls. You only need to treat 15 to 20 individuals in long-term care to reduce a fall from happening. And that's a very powerful statistic. There's very few things we do in medicine that are that cost-effective. In addition, you only need to treat about that many individuals to reduce your risk of fractures. We know that you need a level of approximately greater than, uh, well, this is in Canada, and 75, I'd have to convert it in the U.S. uh, numbers. But we certainly know that you need to be vitamin D sufficient to prevent the falls and fractures from happening. And generally, the evidence for this has been between 800 to 2,000 international units of vitamin D3, which is really basically over-the-counter that you can purchase. The majority of the research, the studies, have had doses of vitamin D of approximately 800 to 1,000 that have shown fracture and fall reduction. Yeah, U.S. Public Health Service just came out with vitamin D for the general population and actually put down the amount of vitamin D that the general public has. And I'm just afraid that our elderly and our elderly at risk and those doctors taking care of them and those families are going to read those numbers and not give enough. You've clearly stated that we've got to give a bit more. Yes, and we certainly read this new release with interest because many Canadians were part of this panel. Clearly, in long-term care, the evidence has been that it has to be a little higher, at least 800 to 1,000. And certainly, when individuals are admitted initially to long-term care in nursing homes, they often are very vitamin D deficient. Many of them have very low levels and may require the higher amount initially to increase their levels to optimal. Well, once a bone is broken and patients are recovering, what can we do to promote the healing? Is there anything we can do with vitamin D or calcium to move things along quicker? We know that it's really essential, uh, bone heals, to have adequate vitamin D and calcium, and the weight-bearing component is very important. Often, these individuals may be discharged not from hospital, from acute care, not being on vitamin D and calcium. In long-term care, we haven't talked a lot about calcium. It's ideal if the home can review their diet and try to optimize the calcium intake through diet. Generally, calcium carbonate, even 500 BID of elemental, can be quite constipating and cause bloating in residents who are not very mobile. So ideally, working with your home's uh, nutritionist to improve the calcium intake And many of these individuals may require a 500 milligrams elemental of calcium, which is typically calcium carbonate 1250 once daily. Now, you've done a fair amount of research as well. Besides the policy work that you've done in Canada, you've done a fair amount of research on osteoporosis. Where do you want to go from here? What's going to happen next? So in terms of policy is we've talked about in long-term care having standardized admission orders and that it's also integrating the 
osteoporosis assessment and management right with the falls review so that those, when you're reviewing your fall statistics, you think about those broken bones and preventing the next bone from happening. So incorporating it as part of your long-term care falls policy has been very important. The, really, the area that we'd like to review next is many of our older adults who have lost height and are kyphotic, who sit in wheelchairs, who get agitated after half an hour. We believe many of them have multiple spine fractures that are undiagnosed and are having a lot of pain. So we really want to, and sometimes this may be presumed to be agitation due to dementia because they can't express it. This is an area we really like to explore because I think that this is really an area that's been not well assessed in long-term care is these multiple spine fractures causing significant pain in the elderly. Have you been doing any of the work in this regard? Some of our family physicians in long-term care, what they suggested was it's very hard to obtain a lateral x-ray to have the radiographic facilities. So what they've been doing on their chest x-rays is every time they get a chest x-ray on a patient, they'll say, rule out, look at the spine, rule out compression fractures. And many of them are informing me that they're surprised how many of their residents have a number of fractures. And what we've been talking about is using appropriate osteoporosis medication in addition to the calcium and D to prevent the next fracture. So in residents who are not palliative, who have greater than six months of lifespan, to assess would they benefit for one of the osteoporosis therapies in addition to calcium and D. So if you've had a spine fracture, those are the individuals that are most likely to benefit from an additional, say, bisphosphonate therapy, you only need to treat 15 residents to prevent another spine fracture from happening. So really, we've looked at having some standardized tools to assist the pharmacist and the staff in long-term care. We've also developed a DVD, and I'm happy to send you a copy, for, to really educate the long-term care staff on how to use these medications appropriately. Well, I'd like to thank my guest from McMaster University in Ontario, Canada, Dr. Alexandra Papa-Ioannou. Alexandra, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Oh, thank you. It's been my pleasure. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA, For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.